Today, uh, the exit interview guest is Jerry Nelson. Uh, Jerry is Nelson Electric in Ames, Iowa. There are other Nelson Electrics really throughout the state. Um, this is a long, long time family business. I've known Jerry ever since I really came into the industry. He's uh, He's been a part of that company for uh, over 50 years and really even uh, more than that, uh, counting some time in high school. Uh, he's very easygoing. Uh, he's retire-ish. He's not necessarily retired. You'll, uh, I'm sure, hear more about that uh, as it goes here, but a lot of uh, really uh, good knowledge, a lot of tremendous bedside manner, and uh, a lot of great ideas. So with that, Jerry Nelson. All right, so, uh, so I know uh, Nelson Electric has a long, long, rich history, but I don't really know it. Can you summarize some of that history up until the point uh, where uh, where you were a young boy and, and uh, go from there? But yeah, who, who was Nelson Electric? How, how did it start? My grandfather, uh, Charles Nelson, came to Ames um, when he was 14 years old. And he found a job uh, at the City Light Plant. He started there in 1903. And then when they decided that electricity was safe enough to be in houses, then he quit the City Light Plant and went to work for himself as a private contractor in 1908. He, um, it was pretty much done by the city of Ames with their own electricians because they didn't know how safe it was particularly. Okay. Um, and after a period of time, they, they went down through Main Street, wired the commercial buildings, street lights. And then at that point, they decided that it was safe enough to be in residential usage. So he went into business for himself in 1908. So when you said he came to Ames, where did he come from? He came from Champaign uh, area. He is one of uh, like 10 or 12 kids. And it was customary at the time uh, when there wasn't enough room for the enough everybody in the house that the oldest would move out. Hmm. And so he moved out. And I don't know how he got here, but he came by train or why he ended up in Ames. Um, our thought was he just got off the train here and, and he was befriended by um, somebody here and then they found him a job at the uh, city light plant. The, the light plant was actually founded in, in 1896. So it had only been in operation for like eight years at that point. I have never thought about the safety of electricity and its migration to residences. How uh, how on the forefront or not was was Ames? I think that? they were probably on the leading edge of it. Hmm. Um, they had a lot of vision for what it could happen, and somehow they passed a bond issue. Um, I was just talking to the, the the folks at the historical museum today. And that bond referendum on the light plant was the first vote that women can vote yes, no in an election in, in Ames. In Ames. Yeah. Hmm. So they, they threw that little tidbit at me today, and I, I didn't know that. Oh, be darn. 
1908. Yeah, uh, 1908. And then they actually, he set up shop where the um, um, Ames Chamber is right now in downtown Ames, 304 Main. The old car hardware building. The old car hardware building. Well, the old Nelson Electric building. The old Nelson. There you go. There you go. And I'm sure that that building is long gone. We do have pictures of the of the showroom window that had a few appliances in it and a few lamps. But then in, in 1912, he moved to a bigger place down uh, down the street. The uh, Main Street Brewery was. Now it's remodeled again. But it then became the old Woolworth store and sure. in the west half of the Woolworth store. So that's where he was there till 1934. And we have pictures of my grandmother um, uh, and her sister demonstrating um, making toast in a toaster on Saturday mornings and demonstrating irons, electric irons. So he sold a lot of appliances hmm. also uh, and light fixtures. And we've got nice pictures of the, of the showroom that he had there. In 1934, um, he came to the place where he couldn't afford the rent because it was right in the middle of the Depression. Right. And my dad always talked about there were some days that the cash register never opened. So he couldn't really afford the rent, so he moved to a three-car garage in the back of his house up at 816 Clark. And uh, my dad started working, it would be somewhere in the mid, mid-20s, mid he started working there. So he, sent, he spent all his working career at Nelson Electric to my dad, Chuck. Okay. And so they moved up to 816 Clark. They operated out of there, just a three-car garage, and then they built a three-car garage across the alley. They operated out of there until 1964. Then we built our, or moved into a building at 116 Clark. So we were there from 1964 to about 1996. Then we built our new place uh, out on the industrial park. You guys built the, our building for us yep. uh, out here at 239 South Bell. So when did you start with the company? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I would guess somewhere around 1960. I was probably 15 years old when I started working out in the field. And then, yeah, uh, and you had a brother, Paul. Was Paul older than you? Paul's six years older than I am. And so did he start in the field as well? He started in the field probably in the mid fifties. Okay, and then he went. He went to uh, way to college for four years, actually five years, and then he had a, a, a he had an accounting degree. So he came back to work, and he spent his whole working career at Nelson Electric, right. as I have. Yep. So I went away in nineteen sixty three to to college for five years. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Simpson for two years, and then I graduated from New York uh, University of Northern Iowa in 1969. Uh, so why Simpson with, and why you and I? Uh, changed majors from accounting to industrial technology. Accounting just wasn't doing it for me. So I, th- I thought you maybe were a quarterback on the football team or 
point guard, something like that? No. Okay. I learned very early, as small as I was, I was not a football player yeah. or a basketball player. Yeah. Tennis and golf worked, but. And uh, so you grew up in Ames? I grew up in Ames. I was born here. So did you go to the Ames School District? Ames and... School District. Yeah. Our family actually goes back uh, seven generations in, in Story County. My great-great-grandfather came and settled here uh, on both sides of the family before Ames actually was a town. Mm. They came out in 1856 when the the government had land grants. They came out here. They settled uh, up north of town in the Soper's Mill area. Sure. So you're like the godfather of Story County. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd put it to say I'm a blue blood probably. Yeah, there you go. I'm blue blood. There you go. Yeah. All right, so so, um, let, so let's keep rolling, Simpson, yeah. and then you and I. And you and I. And then I came back, yep. and uh, for not making a decision to go anywhere else, I was in graduate school at the time, I decided just that just to stay in the business, and, and uh, I spent the rest of the time there. When you came back, uh, did you go back out into the field, or how, how did your progression go from um, – from there through the company to estimating, managing projects, et cetera? By, by 1969, when I came back, I had, a, I had a substantial amount of hours worked just on weekends, um, Saturdays, that I didn't have to work more than a year to get my hours in to pass my journeyman's license. That was in 1970. 1971, I, I got my master's license in 1971. That was back before wing nuts, even, you know. We soldered and taped all the joints. Really? Yeah, I, I learned on soldered and tape before 3M came out with the, with the wire nuts. How many, uh, so when you came back and, and you got your master's designation, how many people worked at the company? We probably had... I'd say six or eight people at the time. How many have you uh, had at a peak since then? Uh, right now, I think we have maybe 65 to 70 employees. And uh, now you just don't have an Ames location. You've got other locations as well. We have a branch in Carroll, Iowa, and Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah. We, we The Carroll one, let's see, the Waterloo one started in... 2009, the Carroll one was 2012. So when I think of Jerry, I think of design build. I think of um, somebody that can ask the right questions, figure those things out, and put something together. So has that has it always been that way, or how did you? I think you enjoy that, so you need to confirm that. But then, how did you develop that? About in 1971, I came in the office and I started estimating, um, doing some lighting design, doing some design. That, that probably comes part of the estimating equation. And one thing just led to another, and the estimating and design came together. And I've just done that pretty much my whole career that I've spent there since 1971. This is, I have to do the math, but 30, 50, it's probably 51 years I've had the master's license. 
Could you still solder and tape something if you needed to? Uh, if I had to. Okay. If I had to. I could probably still still do that. You've worked with uh, a lot of designers in your day, then uh, I'm sure whether it's plan and spec work, design build work, are there a couple of that, that really stand out in your mind um, that were just either did an exceptional job or were exceptionally fun to work with? Um, it, as far as engineers go, we've had a great relationship with with Bluestone Engineering. Um, we do we do some of their legwork for them on, on their projects. We that we have with them, we do some of the legwork for them. Uh, we have, because of that relationship. Yep. Um, it, it's just a very very good relationship, and it's a it's good to work with them. They've got it together. Yeah. And, they, and there's a trust between us that, that that works. Good, good. You've done a lot of projects, and you've done a lot of projects with Story. So talk maybe first about some of the projects you've done at Story, just some ones that you're, uh, there are too many to list, but ones that you were thought were interesting or challenging or that you were particularly proud of? I think probably the most challenging one that we have done with Story was the Fredersen Court project. Just because of the, just the sheer scope of the project and the time frame that we had to get the work done. And it took a really good effort and collaboration between us to make that project flow and to make their timeline. Sure. And that was a, that was a real challenging project. We, we did, uh, to try to meet that schedule, there wasn't enough time in the schedule for us to do all the rough end work. Per floor, per building, to keep the project flowing like it should. So we pre-built a lot of things in our warehouse up front so we could take it with the job site as a big assembly like the panels how we had the circuit breakers in them had the wire coming out of the panels to the first outlets whatever they were um, they were all made up all ready to go and that took a lot of that took three or four three three four days out of, out of the schedule that we could do up front to, to make the project flow like it should and we came up with some innovative ideas to do that, done a prefab to make that work. And that was, that was, that was, uh, that was a good, good thing to make the schedule work. And uh, to the credit of everybody on that project, it, we turned it over, I think he turned it over like a month or two early even. And we only had, we only had 12 months to do those six buildings. Right, right. That was a very challenging project. So it was a fun one in the end. You know, you go back and look at it, you figure all the heartburn you had. And, but it was kind of fun when, when you got it done, say, yeah, we really did that. Mm-hmm. So it was good. We did all the outside site infrastructure. Also, we did all the high voltage work, um, all the distribution on the high voltage side, all the um, uh, communications, phone data. Uh, fire alarm, all that was on the site work. We did all that site work, um, infrastructure also along just along with the buildings. Sure. I thought you were maybe going to say the next era um, gearbox repair facility. Oh, that yeah, that I've I've never uh, 
hooked up a big big motor like that one before. <laughs> that was that was a dinger. Yeah, and that that was probably a once in a lifetime type of project because it was just it was a prototype. There was nothing to go with. Right. It's just it's just the engineers that that put that project together, that concept together of of that twenty five hundred horsepower motor driving a another twenty five hundred horse generator to test those gearboxes. Um, and it was all run by VFDs, which those VFDs were 20 feet long. Uh, that, that, that just was the control center that controlled each one of those. Uh, it was all done on uh, uh, 4160 volts. That was a challenging one. Yep. And that was very interesting to, to be a part of that project. Agreed. Agreed. Maybe one more. It could be a story job or a non-story job, but just yeah. something else that uh, as you smoke your pipe and talk to your oh. grandkids and tell them about the amazing things you did, what's <laughs> what's one more? Oh, yeah. Um, I think changing the, the electric service at the Memorial Union uh, on Iowa State campus was pretty challenging. Mm. Um, it's a half a million square foot building. 15,000 people walk through that building every day, and the building never closes. It's like it's open 24 7. Like the Roach Motel. Yeah. And we had to change the electric service in that building. The original service came in the building in a crawl space in three oil switches that were leaking and it wasn't long before that service was going to fail. And they knew it. Everybody knew that. The engineer knew it. And so it was time to change the electric service. Um, there was a new service that they wanted to put in, but it was on the opposite end of the building. So all the circuits, all the branch circuits and the feeders ran to the old service. The one end of the building, we put the new service in the other end of the building and we had to come back and intercept one of those, each feeder, one at a time, and get it over to the new service. And then when all that was happened, then the old service just kind of went away. But there was over 125 feeder circuits that ranged anywhere from 60 amps to, I think the biggest one was probably uh, 1,200 amps we had to convert from one service to the other. It's like giving a heart transplant to a patient that's on the table living that you had to keep going or it was going to die. So it's, it's kind of, kind of that way. You just, you just kind of keep changing one artery at a time to keep the building going and our actual shutdown, we never did really shut the building totally down uh, through that through that whole process. Totally down. It was it was it was just amazing how how that we could do that. It was it was just challenging to figure all that out. Sure. To hear you uh, talk about your length of time uh, in the trade and in the industry, and uh, soldering and taping that makes me wonder 
what have been the big technological advances in either equipment or design or technology? If you could point to some major, major thresholds of wow, when that happened, it was amazing. In uh, in the electrical world, can you uh, what comes to mind? Wow, so much has happened with tools. Um, just hand benders, manually hydraulic pumps that you had to use for bending pipe. The hydraulics and, and that we use now to bend pipe, uh, the threaders, the wire pulling tools that we use. A lot of it was just almost brute force. When we first started out, there was the pullers weren't nearly as what they are today. The pullers are very sophisticated today. Um, our ladder trucks, when I first started out, there really, really wasn't a ladder truck. We had to put on spikes and a belt on to go up poles manually because there, there weren't ladder trucks. So you had to learn how to climb a pole and... Yeah, so the ladder trucks now, I mean, our ladder truck now is a 56-foot truck, and it's got twin buckets on it and has all the hydraulics on it. Sure. It's, it's, it's just amazing, the, the, the technology and the tools that we use today. How about uh, code compliance or codes and, and requirements? I bet you've seen that get a lot more formal, probably more safe, probably more demanding. The code books that I can remember when we first started out, like in the 60s, you know, they were, they might have been maybe a half inch thick. Today they're an inch and a half thick and instead of small bindings on it, they're big bindings. The code books have really expanded exponentially from where they were back 50 years ago. We're, we're seeing on every codes change now that comes out every three years, we're seeing 3,000 changes every code change. Just, just There's 3,000 items that's changed in our code book just to keep up with technology and safety. Right. The safety uh, part of that, now we're getting into 70E, which is arc flash, uh, as part of the code, we're getting into OSHA requirements as part of that code. There's just a number of codes that ties together to the electrical code, which just weren't there 50 years ago. If there was no PPE particularly, you know, if you got shocked, well, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now now you dress up with, with gloves, depending on the what it is, with with gloves and and um, uh, a certain cowl suit that you put on, eye protection, hard hat protection, ear protection. That is that's all happened probably in the last twenty years, and it's all for the better. You know, it was, it was not like the Darwin theory where survival of the fittest out right. there. You didn't, you got shocked. Well, you didn't do that again. Yeah, and that's how I learned. You know, getting shocked. Yeah, I've been, yeah, you get shocked and you say, yeah. oh, whoops, I better be more careful about that. Yeah. So we'll take this, uh, we'll uh, have one or two more industry questions and 
and we'll get into some more aims and family kinds of questions. So as you think about your time in the industry and all the contractors and architects and engineers and owners, you know, people, people that you've worked with, I'm sure some of them made investments in you and goodness knows you've made investments in, uh, uh, in a lot of people in your career. But as you think down through your career, who are you particularly uh, grateful for that they took the time to invest something in you? I, I think I'd probably have to put that on my dad and my grandfather. They had a real work ethic about them. They came from an old school work ethic. They came out of an era where the work week was six eights, 48 hours a week. Then, then it became, well, you got to pay for that overtime came into play for that extra time over 40 hours. So then we worked um, five days plus a half a day on Saturday. It wasn't a couple of years that we finally figured out that you didn't get much done on a half a day on Saturday anyway, so you might as well forget Saturday. So we're just going to go to five-eighths. Okay. And that's, that's how that progressed. But when I first started out, it was six-eighths. Was it was was there overtime when you started? And if not, when did that kind of kick in and become standard? I can't remember, but I don't think it I don't think it was at the time. It it was soon after that though. Uh, I first started out I can I don't know when I started out, probably fifty cents an hour. And then when I've got to be a journeyman, I've got a pay stub that that uh around nineteen 68, 69, it was $1.80 an hour for a journeyman electrician. And that was that was pretty good money. Oh, baby. That's pretty good money. Yep. So that's why I decided not to go back to grad school. You there know? you go. As a blue blood of Ames, in your time here, you've seen Ames change a lot. What do you mark time by? What do you what do you think of in terms of some of the development or some of the people and their impacts, what, what comes up for you and seeing 70, really remembering probably 65 years of Ames in your lifetime. You've lived longer than that. I can remember back um, when 13th Street was the edge of town. 13th Street North was all prairie grass and swamp. Hmm. That was to the north. To the south, it stopped right about where the present-day Panera is. And it definitely stopped at the bridge. My grandfather just lived on the other side of the bridge okay. down on South Duff. But that was, it. the town kind of basically stopped. There was a trailer court in there and south of, right, right about where Perkins is right now. So as far as geographically, it just has exploded from when I could remember when I grew up. Where I lived out in, up, out by car, car swimming pool out in the northeastern part of the town, that was, a, that was a dairy farm. Out there, the town actually stopped at 13th and Duff. Hmm. So you had to take this old gravel road to go to the car swimming pool. I was, so I know... The university was west of Ames. 
at its inception, was it basically yeah. all one entity, Ames and the university, or was there still some separation 65 years ago? Oh, there was still separation between it, as yeah. it is today. There was where the Coliseum is and the football stadium. That wasn't developed at oh, all. Oh, sure, sure. You guys did uh, the Coliseum there. and Yep. So that was that was not uh, it developed in that area. The, the the main core campus core was still there. I mean that was that's been there for hundred years. So and the fraternities sororities that 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 was all there. I can remember that. The only thing south of there was really the old Ames Golf and Country Club. That was on south on Ash Avenue. That was the edge of town. Yeah. Till so they moved out to the where they're at now in 1970. That was my. That was probably one of the last projects I did in the field. Was the Ames Golf and Country Club project? How many rounds have you played out there? Uh, not as many as I should have. Okay. Well, there's still could time. have or should have. There's still time, Jerry. I spent too much time in the office to be good anymore. There's still time. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure you have had uh, some community interests, some uh, volunteer interests in your uh, in your career uh, when you haven't been in the office and when you haven't been on the golf course. Since we've established that, how have you invested your time in the community? Um, I've been on several Ames community boards, uh, and, uh, on the Ames foundation board. I was on the Ames electrical board for a number of years, number of terms, uh, through the Ames JCs, just a number of organizations. I was belonged to the, um, Coast Guard Auxiliary, U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary in town for 25 years. The Associated in Builders and Contractors. Right. Um, we were we were one of the charter members of the the Ames or the uh, ABC of Iowa. Yep. Uh, I was chairman of the Electrical Trade Council, and one of the one of the things that we had as a uh, goal that we had was to set up statewide licensing system. It was very fragmented through the state. We, we'd have, and, and we, we weren't any different than any other electrical contractor. You had to have 10 or 15 licenses in the different, different jurisdictions to do work in the state or, or in your area that you wanted to work. We had, we had probably had 10 or 12 licenses. So our goal was to consolidate that in through a statewide licensing system so the Electrical Trade Council focused on, on, on a statewide licensing system. We worked on that for probably five or six years. And what finally was accomplished, uh, we finally got it passed as a bill for a statewide licensing system, which has really worked out well for the state of Iowa and for everybody concerned, contractors, state right. of Iowa, all those local jurisdictions. Um, there are some jurisdictions that still do their own inspections, but but that's the elective to them. Right. But when you get out of the rural communities or the smaller communities, um, Huxley, Cambridge, or whatever, that's all covered under the statewide licensing system. So it's become 
a little more universal, and I think the safety of that in itself was worth the effort. Because there was a lot going on in the state that was marginal at best. Sure. Um, if we've established nothing, we've established that Nelson Electric is a family business and always has been and continues to be. So tell us about your family and the status of the company now as it relates to the family business. Um, my grandfather started it, of course. Uh, he spent all his working career uh, in the business. My dad did the same thing. He spent his, all of his working career in the business. My brother and I, we spent all of our working career in the business. My brother retired in 2008 we were trying to figure out what to do with the business at that point because he wanted to retire. And Chris, my oldest son, expressed interest in coming back. He worked for a general contractor in Chicago for several years, and then he worked for Whites in Des Moines for 10 years. And so he expressed some interest in coming back, and he actually bought out my brother's share of the business. My middle son worked for the business. His wife uh, got another job in Florida, so they decided to move to Florida. My youngest son lived in Minneapolis. He, he met a girl, Minnie, and, and she lived in Minneapolis, and so they decided to move to Minneapolis. And then it was probably six years ago they decided to come back into the business. So I've got two sons in the business also. So we continue on um, with them, and I'm, I'm probably be transitioning out, still be their consultant. Family businesses are they're they're a breed of their own. They're they're um, they're hard to walk away from. So I'll probably still be around as long as I'm useful and can contribute to the business. I'll still be there. Yeah, to to call this an exit interview is not fair. To call it an exitish interview <laughs> is probably fair. A slowdown interview, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, yeah, uh, you have a charming wife. So how does she tolerate? Um, how does she tolerate you having one foot in the business and one foot uh, in retirement? She would rather me be retired. Without a doubt, she was. She likes. She doesn't like to be lonely. She's. She's actually retired. She spent a number of years being an office administrator at different places. The last time was at Adams Funeral Home. She was there for 15 years. She's an organist. She's played uh, this is her 60th year of playing uh, as an organist uh, in different uh, churches, mainly Lutheran churches. She's been at Bethesda Lutheran for 35 of those years. So she's she's getting ready to retire. So she wants to be spend more time at the lake. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so what does uh, what does retirement look like? I I know of some of your hobbies and pursuits, but uh, tell us all what uh, when you are when your laptop is not up because I know you work remotely a lot. But when your laptop is not up, what do you like to do? We have a spot in northern Wisconsin we like to go to, and there's. It's on the lake, Lake Superior. I like to spend time on the boat, fishing, that type of thing. Taking up a little golf. Mm -hmm. I have some friends up there that, that like to golf. Great. 
So we do do that. Uh, so the year's 2021. Uh, how many uh, weeks will you spend at the lake? Probably not sure yet. I'm sure that we, we spent a substantial amount of time up there this year just because of the COVID. Right. Uh, I could work up there just as well as here. The, the, the guys didn't want me in the office just because I'm in that age group that right. just doesn't need to be out in public a lot. So I set up the office at home, and we vacillated back and forth between Ames and Bayfield. We spent a lot of time in Bayfield this summer. I was able to log on to our computer from up there, do basically what I did here, just remotely. So that worked out pretty well. And I envisioned that being the same thing again this year. Yeah, Chris told me he loved that. I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that is, uh, that is uh, I, I'll think of you for uh, many things. Um, one of them, though, is you have remained relevant in technology. Uh, so what, uh, why is that? Because you needed to, because it's it's kind of interesting to you, because um, technology hasn't passed you by. It's ran, and, and you've kept up with it. So what's that about? <laughs> I think that the technology part of it is, it depends on how you define that. I am not a real technology genius by any means, but I can function enough, well enough, to be able to be productive. If I have, if I have a problem with something and I can't log on to something, I go right into Chris's office and I say, yeah, I need, I need, I need help. Sure. Or an Excel question. I could sit there in Excel and spend two hours on something and walk into his office and he can do it in 30 seconds. So... I'd stay relevant enough in technology to be able to function. Sure. The depth of knowledge may be questionable. <laughs> so you may have had some fear and trembling coming into today, although I doubt it. But it, is there some area that I haven't touched on or some question that I haven't asked that you were prepared for that you were going to have a mic drop moment. You were going to be like, yeah, when he asked me this, this is right what I'm coming back with. What have I missed? Really can't think of it much that you haven't covered. Um, we've really enjoyed our relationship with story construction through the years. I, my grandfather worked with James Thompson and that crew, you know, Woody Buck and, and uh, Norm Reese and, Dean Porth, all those guys. Uh, Ted Hagen, mm -hmm. my dad worked with him. Um, and his, his both companies has, has been able to continue on. Um, the relationship is still there and working, and um, we appreciate the, the relationship. A lot of our, our better projects are with story construction because they're so well organized. And the communication system that, that is there is really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, I would concur that it's pretty friction-free, and there's a common denominator in that, and one of the, that common denominator is you. You do a nice job of 
um, playing that part and, and making that happen. You're, you're easy to do it with and desirable to do it for. So uh, you can tell Chris that, you know, exit-ish is fine, but exit, not so much. <laughs> well, we, I hope that's always our goal. You know, the, the, the goal is always, the end goal is the customer. And we always try to make it easy for, for the team. Everybody, that, you know, the team members try to make it easy to get right. to reach that goal. So if you keep that in mind, it, it does make it hopefully a lot easier. So Yeah, interestingly enough... Um, when your grandfather was in the uh, old, old main space on Main Street and needed to go to Clark, that's when our company started uh, in that depression. Oh, yeah. Is it 30, 34? 34. 34, yeah. yeah. So really the, the last question we typically ask, so you've had a long, distinguished, my words, career in, uh, in the industry. You've seen a lot. You've done a lot. As you talk to your uh, grandkids, or as you would talk to any young young person today, considering coming into the industry, what pearls of wisdom would you drop on them? You know, we're we're I, I tell the guys we're all apprentices of our trade, and I, I keep telling them that because every day we learn about our trade. There's there's just changes. There's there's new ways of doing things. There's there's learning opportunities out there every day. So we're all apprentices of our trade. So you keep an open mind to the changes and because you know, every day is a learning experience in this industry. Even at 73. Yeah, even as a journeyman and a master electrician. That's right. We're all apprentices of our trade. That's right. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to no, sit with you guys for an hour or so. Yeah, it's great. Good. That's it, Jerry. There you heard it, uh, right from Jerry's mouth. Uh, it's uh, smooth and easy. Fascinating uh, how uh, the start of electrification in Ames really uh, came through some of his uh, family lineage in, um, in not only the power plant and uh, getting a power plant here, but then up through uh, the company. Also, uh, Jerry said it best, uh, family businesses are a unique beast, and they have been uh, very, very successful up until now, and, and I, uh, I'm confident they will continue to be with uh, the family leadership that's at the helm uh, currently and with uh, Jerry's continued uh, involvement as he tries to uh, back away just a little bit, uh, not to abandon, uh, but to support uh, in a little less demanding way so uh, he and his wife uh, can enjoy their retirement. But really, really good stuff. Really, really great guy. Uh, really glad that Jerry was able to share his um, retirement time with us in this way. Thanks, Jerry. 